Hello, Erica. Hello, Stephen. We're back. We're home. Yeah, we've... So, I think it's been... This is the longest gap that we've had between episodes... But there's a reason for it. Well, a long time. It's been a long time. I haven't. I didn't. I haven't chronicled this. No, that wouldn't be lazy. Exactly. But we've been. Uh, first, we went to. We did a big U.S. trip. Mm-hmm. We went to Long Island Who, and Chicago Tardis, and then all points in between. And we mm-hmm. foolishly thought that oh, we'll bring some episodes along with us, and we can watch them mm-hmm. then. But that didn't happen. No, because we were very busy, and then I was not feeling well, and it was, and, and we were still very busy. I was also feeling unwell too. I was fighting a cold like literally until like last week. Mm-hmm. And now I have the cold. Yay. But you're kind of getting over it. I'm not so sure. I've heard from coworkers that you get really bad for a while and then you think you're getting better and then you get worse again, except it's only about half as bad and then you get better and then you get worse again, only it's about like half as bad as it was the second time until, you know, it peters out eventually. So I have, I have more to look forward to apparently. Wow. Well, I think it's because um, we get too overconfident mm-hmm. and you think that, oh, yay, we're beating the cold now. And then you <laughs> stop taking like the vitamin C and the and the medicine and stuff. And then you realize that the uh, the war isn't over yet. You know, that's what that's what I think how it works. Well, not that there's any medicine that's going to cure a cold, but maybe trying to do too much, which is why doing a lazy podcast seems like just the ticket. <laughs> We've barely moved. We've just been sitting on the couch <laughs> for the past hour. Yes. Watching episodes three and four of the underwater menace yeah we figured you waited so long for an episode of lazy doctor who that we owed you two episodes of doctor who just to clear the books Mm -hmm. of the underwater menace because that's been hanging over our heads for the long i've had that dvd sorry underwater menace hanging over our heads it's just haha well played you missed this. You missed this. <laughs> I want to say first, though, thanks to all the nice people who said nice things at Ally Who and Chicago Tardis about this little podcast of ours. Yeah, I was I was really surprised. I did not, um, I, I guess I just didn't realize it had made as much of an impact as it has. And uh, yeah, it was so nice to hear from people. And so many of those people just seemed really heartfelt about it in a way that was unexpected and really 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 special that just it was just like that's that is exactly the kind of reaction that um that i would want uh a podcast that is so us Mm -hmm. to elicit you know this is just this is as as stripped raw as you and i get as far as us as people so the idea that that resonates is pretty cool it is cool and um and thanks also to the um people who support us on the uh incomparable I was gonna say uncanny incomparable uh, <laughs> network. network um because you know you you support us you know we haven't had an episode like in six weeks mm-hmm. so so thank thanks very much to them as well mm-hmm. yep that's awesome yeah but now mm-hmm. Doctor Who the Underwater Menace episodes three and four. Mm-hmm. This story is bonkers. <laughs> Holy heck. Holy catnip. It, it, wow. Holy buttons. Holy buttons. I haven't said that one in a while. That's right. Yeah, it's um, uh, everything from the costumes to uh-huh. the music I to know. the scope of the story to the location that it's set in to the completely OTT mad scientist villain this thing is just to the you know gaping plot holes this thing is off 
the charts in like every way. It's uh, it's also not good <laughs> in my in my humble opinion, having watched the episode and actually having to pay attention to it now. Um, I will say that the story itself there there are things about it that are definitely not good. Like there are lots of things that really don't make sense when you think about them and the the reasoning for doing things. And the doctor decides to just flood a significant portion of the city mm-hmm. likely leading to the deaths of many Atlanteans because I mean if he thought that was absolutely the only way to stop the blowing up of the world okay but they the script does not have that laid out there's there's no moral quandary for the doctor like he it's just he he seems very sort of not lighthearted, but just sort of matter of fact about it. Well, I don't have a better idea, so let's try this. Like, um, maybe shooting Zaroff, like finding him right. and just just running into his lab and and shooting him. I mean, you'd sacrifice a lot fewer people. Um, I don't know. Just, that whole thing seemed very weird. And <laughs> Zaroff as a villain is just. I'm kind of happy that we have this. <laughs> In the annals of Doctor Who history, okay. to have somebody somebody that big and that ridiculous and that over the top, I thought Anthony Ainley's master was like the height of, I don't know, cray cray diva, but no, not even close. Had you uh, so the the famous line, the infamous line from the end of episode three. Uh, the, the which is the one existing episode that has been here for like I think ever. Well, I say ever. Like I don't think it's ever been missing. Um, that is like infamous in the in the annals of Doctor Who fan. Did, did you know that it was coming, or did you know about the line? Nothing in the world can stop me now. I did not know it was coming when I heard it. I totally recognized it, yeah. but I didn't real. I didn't. I still don't know exactly where I recognize it from. I guess I just have been so adjacent to Doctor Who fandom and hardcore Doctor Who fandom mm-hmm. that I've heard lots of people say it and possibly even heard it, you know, played on a podcast or something like that. But I guess I didn't really realize that it was as big a thing as it is. And now that I've seen it, oh, I get why. <laughs> yep. Joseph first in uh, a weird performance in this story. Uh, like there's some some of his line deliveries. I'm not too sure what he's doing with them. Um, I think he appeared on the Loose Cannon um, reconstruction. I think he actually had an interview with him or something. I think he explained what he was doing in that. I've never seen it, but I've heard that he's on it. But uh, it's one of the weirder performances and one of the weirder characters. Uh, you know, the achievement of destroying the earth that he has i just don't understand but well i mean we talked about that uh, six weeks ago or whatever it was about you know that there is sort of a trope of the mad scientist who is so mad that Mm -hmm. that what they want is absolute power over everything over life and death and you know like i I believe i compared it to davros and you know holding the the file or you know the talking about it and saying like Mm -hmm. you know would would i i think i would Mm -hmm. you know that that davros would actually wipe out all of creation all of mankind just because he could just Mm -hmm. to have that kind of power so this is the same thing so i don't really have a problem with that as an end game um i mean if you really want to go into headcanon territory you could you know think that he's very you know 
severely depressed or something like that and just wants to take the rest of the world with him. You know, he's stuck here underwater in Mm -hmm. Atlantis, not able to, you know, be in his own world or country or whatever and all that sort of stuff. So, so yeah, his motivations, I don't have any problem with at all because that's makes as much sense as some other, you know, (laughs) motivations. Uh, But the idea that he's this mad and Thoros was that was the governor Thaus I think yeah that that it took him this long to like cotton on to it and that the scientists that work with this guy every day don't suspect (laughs) anything weird is going on until the doctor just wanders in and blabs it I mean there's there are a lot of things where like A and B don't quite lead to C like they just skip over to like Mm -hmm. H or something like that yeah Mm -hmm. and and as you say I mean the doctor has no real plan apart from Mm -hmm. going in and blowing every or letting the water drain in and but he and the only uh he doesn't even know for sure if it's going to stop he admits Mm. that he could in theory be literally drowning everybody in the entirety of Atlantis himself and his companions included Mm mm-hmm well, maybe he assumes that the fish people and the Atlanteans are safe. I don't think the Atlanteans would be safe because they'd be drowned. The fish people are fine, but they're like all um, um, experimentations anyway. Right, yeah. So like uh, the fish people would have been the only ones that would have survived if, yeah. if this had, had gone wrong. I just feel like this is this is the doctor at his absolutely most... Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Irresponsible? Yeah, irresponsible and careless. Just, it's kind of terrible. I don't like thinking about... Like, I, going back and watching bits and pieces of classic Doctor Who before, I, I kind of didn't like the idea that the Doctor was as, as sort of, you know, grumpy and crotchety as the first Doctor is. But boy, compared to this episode, he, he's so much better. I'd rather have grumpy and crotchety than, than just sort of... La di da di da. I'm going to destroy a civilization, not for any particular good reason. Mm-hmm. And like I said, had they taken the time to to sort of lay that out a little bit better, then sure, I would I would understand it. But it's very much in your face. A, it's not even that it's unexplained. It's it, it is explained. It's explained that he's not sure, and then he hasn't thought of anything better. Just. Yeah, this is not this is not a good episode for the doctor or for Polly. No, Polly says no, I can't. She's like she's given up. She's officially given up trying to escape Atlantis. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm actually that moment I'm okay with. It's just that it comes after many bad moments for her. She's I mean, she's been through a lot. So by that time and apparently they climbed all the way out of the from the floor of the ocean, which is Was it the floor of the ocean or was it just under the sea? What well, under the sea no I uh, guess they didn't they didn't specify I that I think it's probably just under the sea I think I don't think they were at the floor of the, mm-hmm. otherwise the pressures would have crushed them I'm assuming I mean if you want to look at the strict <laughs> science of this episode which clearly it is ad- adhering to okay okay that's fine yeah. it's just it seems weird to me that like why have hasn't anybody come up to the surface to do anything before now? So there's another giant gaping hole. Well, that's where I assume those two sailors are from because they 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 were shipwrecked or something, and then they right. they climbed down, and that's where they climb up from on this whatever this island is. Well, I mean, I think they probably got trapped the same way that the doctor and everybody mm-hmm. else did. Like they were you know lured in or whatever. So which means that they uh, the some of the people of Atlantis have at least a connection with the surface and mm-hmm. they've done nothing with it. Um 
Right. But anyway, so I'm so I'm okay with Polly just being exhausted because sure. I have hit that point. Maybe not quite <laughs> as bad as she is, but where you're just like, no, I yeah. cannot do any more. My body is is giving is physically giving out, and you know, just emotionally, she's got to be wrecked. So I feel like I kind of wish I could have seen that scene because I think that was actually kind of nice how Jamie like from from what little we can hear like. I expected it to be one of those awful moments where, like, you know, he slaps her or something like that. But we didn't. I was waiting for that. She's getting more and more hysterical. Oh, no, 18th century Jamie's going to slap her, isn't he? But we didn't hear a slap, so I'm assuming that doesn't happen. And then what you actually get is Jamie really, like, just taking it down a couple of notches and just being like, here, I'll help you. Mm -hmm. It was so sweet. That was a really, really wonderful and heartwarming moment. So I, I liked that. So that part of it I actually liked. That's fine. Mm -hmm. It's the fact that Polly, um, all the way through these two episodes, is just, she's a victim and she's not showing any of that Polly spark that we have seen in so many other episodes. And Mm -hmm. I feel like it's just a disservice done to her by the writer. For example, when it's her and Ramo um, and they're supposed to be watching Zaroff. And Zaroff's just a stupid thing. Okay, so here, here's Polly okay. being the one that's like, oh, he does look pretty bad. You should probably help him stand up. <laughs> help that- me stand up so I can bask in the aura of your goodness, is what he says. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> should probably let him do it. And Polly is, I mean, in, in many circumstances, is a smart cookie. Mm-hmm. And here she's not. So, I mean, the only way I can headcanon it away is just that she almost got turned into a fish person and is just, she's she's very tired at this point so she's really not firing on all cylinders and then and then when Zaroff attacks Ramo and they're fighting she just she literally kind of has her her hands up to her chin Mm -hmm. and she's cowering in the corner rather than picking up a stone and trying to bash him on the head or trip him or do anything you know we've we've seen Polly be be tougher than this later on in this in well earlier in the episode when they kidnap him in the first place he sort of knocks him over the head a little bit yeah, so there's... She does pull on the spear, too, when he, but then she fails, and then he stabs him. Only in, like, sort of vague self-defense. Well, actually, that's true. She does kind of try to pull it away, and mm. then, you know, he very poorly whacks her, and she takes it. That's just... That's fine. That's staging from yeah. a, a 1960, 60s, Seven. 1967 yeah. uh, story. So, like, it, I don't care that it didn't look realistic. I care that she didn't do something before then, and then was just... Just just ugh, meek and that was was really bothersome yes you're raising your hand yeah i've got a theory that i just came up with okay. and it's the peter stevens theory uh do tell oh i will i say <laughs> that only so i can explain it peter stevens is the actor who played the i don't know what the name of it but he was the priest Eric mighty am darrow that guy who sort of speaks all crazy like the, the portly fellow the portly fellow mm-hmm. Uh, I think that his presence rubbed off on Polly and made her completely gullible. Peter Stevens' previous appearance in Doctor Who was in The Celestial Toymaker as, what's his name, um, the guy on the little hopscotch game that Stephen and Dodo play, and Dodo buys hook, line, and sinker. His, so I'm, I'm blaming something to do with the Peter Stevens and people who look like him in the universe that it's up it's because of him that everyone is gullible around him or in similar situations so he makes 
the characters that surround the character that he plays more gullible. Or if you want to less uh, behind, but I just think people who look like him in the, you know, obviously the actor is the actor, but anyone who looks like him or sounds like him, especially sounds like him, um, make you feel very gullible. That's his superpower. People that look like him. Maybe given that the <laughs> celestial toy maker is kind of like, in a dreamland kind of thing. Maybe he actually is that guy from Atlantis transplanted and captured and kidnapped. Um, so maybe this is actually a prequel to the Celestial Toymaker. Oh, yeah, because they do say that, that him, the priest, was the la- he was last seen running toward the, the uh, temple to yeah. seek... Uh, you know, seek help from from Amdo, mm-hmm. and maybe instead of Amdo, the Celestial Toymaker popped in and was like yoink, and then he ended up in the Celestial Toymaker. Boom! Wow, ladies and gentlemen, you're welcome. <laughs> I haven't seen that one written in a book yet. Man, my mind is blown. Sure, I'll go with that headcanon. I guess invent a better reason. Go on. You know what? I'll just leave it at that. Uh, there was a, a nice moment, uh, speaking of Polly and Jamie, yeah. also as they are first sort of starting to, to climb around um, and they realize that the water may or may not be coming and they see the wall glowing and, and Polly's like, it might be radiation. And Jamie's like, what's that then? And I was just like, what? And then Polly was like, oh, right. You wouldn't know. Of course. Of course he wouldn't know. Way to, way to stick with continuity. So yeah. like that's that's one of the, the good writing moments that, that I was appreciative of good rewriting moments as the case may be because when this episode is being first written jamie wasn't a part of it uh which probably explains why ben for no reason at the end says oh no doctor the water's coming up i'm out and he leaves he leaves the doctor alone with Zaroff as the water's rushing up towards the very end because probably in the original version it's ben helping polly up out of the thing and not jamie um that's that's one of the parts where you can see where they were just sort of shoehorning Jamie into the episode. I had real trouble. I, I did not really quite understand what was happening uh, because we watched the official recon yeah. on the DVD <clears throat> and all it has is the audio and the telesnaps. Mm-hmm. And with no linking narration and no extra like subtitles or something to tell us what people are doing, I really don't know what happened. Like, I don't know what happened to Zaroff at the end. He drowned. Okay, I, I guess I assumed he drowned, but how did they get from point A to point B? Uh, all we saw was, um, you know, the 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 handle thing to press down, but behind, the, there's some bars between him and the doctor somehow tricked him or something? I think what happened was uh, the the bars go down, and then Zaroff is, is sealed in his, well, not sealed per se, but he's behind the bars, and there's a little the magic red button to detonate everything. And the doctor's on the other side trying to get in to stop Zaroff from pressing the button. So then the doctor fiddles around Mm -hmm. and, like, causes the lights to go off. Okay. And then Zaroff goes, hey, no, you can't do that. And he comes out. And then Mm -hmm. the doctor, boom, slams the door down again. And then so the rest of the episode, Zaroff's trying to get back in. And, like, the only, there's two missing, uh, there's two sensor clips from this story. The first one about Polly getting uh, about to turn into a fish person. And then, like, literally about three or four seconds of Zarov drowning underneath the uh, his head going underneath the water, which was deemed too much for Australian audiences in the 1960s. So, so that's what happened there. Well, speaking of being underwater, yeah. can we take a few moments oh, yeah. to appreciate the amazing <laughs> 
underwater scenes with all the fish people. That uh, weird music going on. That, that took like two minutes. That was the weirdest scene. But you liked it. That was amazing. <laughs> it was so good. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I tend to be a person who's kind of like, I don't really want to see special effects for the, the, for the case, for the point of purpose, just right. for the purpose of special effects. Uh-huh. But here I'm okay with it. Okay. Because it was just, it was, I was, I was enraptured. It was just so cool. How did they do that? Were those people on wires? Yeah. Do, yes. I, I found it amusing that I looked over you because I was wondering, how, how are you uh, enjoying this sequence? And I look over and you go, this is amazing. And literally the second you said that, uh, they have a, a close up of a, of a fish person coming in. You can clearly see the wire. I, I could not see really? the wires. I was looking for wires in every shot and I was like, how are they doing this? I couldn't see them. Yeah. I could not. Kirby wires, all on film, mm-hmm. slow motion, mm-hmm. and so not under, actually underwater. I was impressed by because I I was trying to look at where the because you could see little bubbles going up, mm-hmm. and it didn't look like it was like superimposed or anything like that. I suspect that they had like a bubble machine just on the floor, that like kind of. But it took me a few minutes to like recognize that because I was like, oh my god, there's bubbles. Like I'm like for for a moment, I was like, they didn't really shoot this underwater did they and of course in my brain i was like no that's not a possibility but it had it had me fooled because those actors did such a good job of being very fluid with their Mm -hmm. motions and of course like you said the slow motion and yeah i mean i i realized that the only point they were trying to get across is the fish people are telling each other like you know news is traveling along the grapevine the fish vine as 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 fast as fish people can talk and Mm -hmm. spread the word yeah but you know they oh my god how much budget must they have spent on those amazing sets and the like doing all of that and all those costumes it was yeah so as dumb as some of the plot stuff is and some of the story stuff is i don't freaking care i give it a pass the story is amazing the whole thing i just i mean i don't i don't know i just want to watch episode three again and again (laughs) that's all we had for like 30 years so i'm not sure you want to do that but Uh, it was i i was just super super impressed by all that and you know any of the costumes not even just the fish people you know look at the priests with their big old crazy hats and the uh the cloaks and the the skirts made of seaweed and oh and the amazing tops like polly gets to wear with the like shells and Mm -hmm. stuff all over it it was it was so inventive and you know i'm sure i can i'm sure a lot of people think that it looks ridiculous and cheap and over the top and i'm thinking you know what this is a society that has been living cut off from the rest of the world literally underground and underwater mm-hmm. they are using whatever they have at hand and trying to make it as pretty as possible it seems totally legit to me i mean i wander around heritage the heritage days festival here and look at some of the uh the the native outfits and costumes and stuff from different countries around the world and think you know what compared to the the things i'm used to looking at those look really strange Mm -hmm. they are very different but i'm not going to judge them and say that they're bad or cheesy or cheap or 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 wacky looking Mm -hmm. because it's just a different culture and you know what that's how i feel about atlantis i feel like that this is just the clothing of a different culture kind of cool if atlantis had a uh, booth at heritage days yeah, except for the seaweed, would, uh, the seafood would go bad within an hour, and you couldn't eat it. That is a terrible way. I mean, literally within hours. I mean, sushi lasts longer than that, doesn't it? I mean, uh, this is like you know. No, I, I, I don't think I would want to have sushi sitting out for a few hours and then eat it. That's a good no. point. Mm-hmm. So Atlantis cares very much about salmonella, which is to their credit is mm-hmm. good. 
what I, this is another thing that I find a little bit ridiculous. Okay, Zaroff has the technology to the uh, the technology to be able to blow up the entire world. You've got Doctor What's His Face <clears throat> actually turning people into Doctor Who. In, no, the oh, other okay, sorry. Uh, turning people into fish people, Call, yeah. mm-hmm. using you know genetic manipulation and sur- surgery or whatever, <laughs> and they have yeah they have no refrigeration. Like that's yeah. that's all you need to keep to keep seafood from going bad is a friggin' refrigerator. <laughs> what do we do? We have all these computers, things. What do you turn the temperature down? What down down? How how do they keep the computers cool? Like they're like there's got to be some type of refrigeration. Uh, also, they're fairly deep underwater, even if they're not at the bottom of the sea. They're pretty deep underwater. Guess what? It's cold down there. Just put them in a friggin' Ziploc bag or some pieces of plastic, which you don't tell me they don't have plastic, uh, and just stick it out in the water. I think you'll be fine. Yeah. (laughs) So, so yeah, and that whole subplot. Also, while we're talking about the fish people and their food and refrigeration, okay, so they're slaves, well, how how are they being kept as slaves? What is what is keeping them? <laughs> what is keeping them near Atlantis? Obviously, it's not food because mm-hmm. they they are able to feed themselves. We don't ever see them being like physically threatened with weapons no. of any sort. I don't see anything like we're not told that that Atlantis has some type of uh, serum that keeps them from turning back into regular people so no. that they would die underwater. None of that stuff. So there's literally no downside to them refusing to bring in food they have there's no risk it's just like maybe they maybe when they got transformed they were that dumb like it just takes away their brains and they just (laughs) never thought maybe i just shouldn't do what they tell me to do Mm -hmm. i mean it's not like somebody's gonna come out there and beat them nobody else can come out because they're not fish people dumb so i might have said this earlier but the director of the highlanders was originally assigned to direct this story and says this no this thing can't work. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was only brought in because they couldn't have another story written. And they were literally like getting to the point where they needed to make an episode today to go out the very next week. So Underwater Menace <laughs> had to be made. Warts and all. <coughs> Thanks, uh, Julia. What was it? Julia Smith. Julia Smith. Her second of two stories that she directed. First one being The Smugglers. Uh, Jeffrey Orm. This is his only ever Doctor Who story that he ever wrote. Thank God. <laughs> I feel like Julia Smith did an amazing job mm-hmm. given what she had to work with as a, as a script that just made no sense. Yeah. It's, a sad, it's sad that this is her last one because you almost think that really should have like given her a better one to go out on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You're giving her, I feel like she deserved another script after this to make yes. up for it. Yeah. Never happened though. Maybe she said, "To hell with this, <laughs> I'm out." I kind of wouldn't blame her if that was if that was the case. Yeah, mm-hmm. but it was, you know, in many ways, this was this is one of the most epic stories of Doctor Who that I have ever seen. I I can't believe I waited this long to to experience this. Although I guess I'm glad I did because I got to see more of it moving now than I would have years ago. That's true. As did I. Um, having seen the proper restored episode two and episode three good work restoration team mm-hmm. on on making the existing Doctor Who that we have uh, ready to enjoy by all. Here, here. 
So and th- at the end of this episode, the TARDIS spins out of control because the Doctor thinks he can control the TARDIS, but he actually can't. Yeah, like I said, not a great story for the Doctor because he totally just gets goaded yeah. into doing something foolish that, you know, since we don't know what happens, you mm-hmm. know, could lead to the death of him and all of his companions and his precious TARDIS. Like, <clears throat> what is wrong with the Doctor? I don't know. Like, this is not this is not good, Doc. Not good. No. But uh, his adventures will carry on next time. Do you know what story's coming up? I never know what story's coming up. Tell me. It's the moon base. I wondered if it would be the moon base. Have you seen the moon base? I have not, but I've heard many podcasts about it. So, you know, I kind of know the story. Hmm. Polly makes coffee. Uh, or saves everybody by d- discovering something about the coffee. Well, I won't. I won't okay. go into spoilers here. But if you've seen the tenth planet, you've seen the moon base essentially. But, <laughs> uh, but that's. Uh, but the, but hey, this um, two of the four episodes exist, and the other two are animated. So ah. we get some moving images. That's exciting. Yeah, yeah I good. think so too. Mm-hmm. Uh, anything? <laughs> anything else? This is the most uh, I think I have ever expected us to talk about the underwater menace. But I'm glad we watched two in one go. Uh, anything else to say about this thing? I don't think so. I'm starting to cough again, so I should probably just, just, just say I, all I have. I, just, I, I am gobsmacked by this, by this story. It right. is so, so wild. Wow, just wild. And the doctor dresses up as some sort of hippie too. Oh, that's right. Yeah, he totally looked like a groovy dude from the '60s or something. What was and and while he's running away being chased by Zaroff has time to change out of his costume somehow at some point that that scene is the weirdest thing where they want to kidnap him and it's just like Polly and her friend walking around this market with the music playing so loud that I can barely hear half the dialogue but that was great music I'm not going to complain <laughs> it was so fun uh, and the doctor's like shaking a tambourine around and wearing sunglasses sonic sunglasses I bet um ah <laughs> And then all of a sudden, Zeroff's there, and they—it's uh, very strange. It's a weird mm. scene in a weird episode, at a weird story, in a weird time yeah. in Doctor Who. Here, here. Yep. Yeah. All right, that's it. Bye. <laughs> bye, bye. <laughs>